Thank you, Ron. If you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. You're all familiar with the saying, be careful what you ask for, or maybe be careful what you wish for. It's a statement that's really a warning, uh, meaning you may actually get what you ask for and you may not like it when you get it. The liabilities may outweigh the benefits. For example, you may wish for more income. So you may ask for a promotion at work, but you fail to realize that the promotion comes with increased responsibilities, longer hours, and much more stress. Do you really want that promotion? Some may want a bigger house, only to find that it comes with more bills and more upkeep than maybe they have time or money for. I could use a number of other examples. In our passage this morning, something like this happens to Israel only on a bigger scale. They want a king like the nations. And so they ask for a king like the nations. God warns them be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. And a king like the nations may not be quite what you want. In fact, a king like the nations won't give you much. He won't be known for giving it all. He will only be known for taking. Last week we saw that When Israel depended upon the Lord, he took care of them. When they cried out to the Lord, he delivered them from the hand of the Philistines. And at the end of that episode, at the end of chapter 7, we see this wonderful picture where Samuel took a stone and set it up and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, till now... The Lord has helped us. We've sung about that this morning. Our God, our help in ages past. We've sung about it. I look up to the hills, my eyes. Where does my help come from? Till now, the Lord has helped us. The Lord had helped them up to that point. But we're left wondering. Will Israel continue to depend upon the Lord for deliverance? And will the Lord continue to be their help? What we find in chapter 8 is that they quickly forgot the Lord. That He was able to deliver them and to fight for them. So they sought security in something other than than God. They sought security in a king like the nations. Where are you prone to look to something or to someone other than the Lord to provide security 
and satisfaction. What are you asking for in your life? Is it something other than the Lord's help? If so, you should be careful what you ask for. Let us now stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, But they have rejected me from being king over them, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all of the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No! But there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man to his city. This is the word of the Lord.
You may be seated. This passage is divided into two parts. Verses 1 to 9, we have Israel's request for a king. And then in verses 10 to 22, God's response to their request. So a request and God's response. Let's begin with the request. The elders go to Samuel and ask him for a king, to give him a king. But why? Why do they ask for a king? What are the reasons? The text gives us two reasons, but they're competing reasons, not complementary reasons. The first reason comes from the mouth of the elders. The second, from the mouth of God. The elders' reason for their request veils their true intentions, but God's answer reveals the true reason and exposes the motivation of their heart. Many years have passed since God delivered Israel from the Philistines at the end of chapter 7, so although there's only a chapter break that separates the two in our text, many years have passed, and their security as a nation is now threatened again. Samuel is old. He's judged Israel well, but now he's made his sons judges over Israel, and they're not judging Israel so well. Look at verse 3. His sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Sounds similar to another story we read about a couple of weeks ago, doesn't it? The elders of Israel know what happens when wicked sons take leadership. They saw it with Eli's sons. Eli's sons took from the people. They didn't give. They used people. They didn't serve. And it led to disaster. They were defeated, decimated, as we saw last week by the Philistines. It wasn't until Israel came underneath God's word through the prophet Samuel, a godly leader, that things were set straight. Maybe the elders are thinking they don't want to repeat what happened before. So they say to Samuel in verse 5, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, appoint for us a king to judge us like the nations. Their reason may seem plausible, Samuel's succession plan doesn't seem to be really that great of a plan. And as we'll see in chapter 12, at this moment, they're up against a new enemy now, the Ammonites. Doesn't it make human sense to appoint a king? To centralize this loose confederacy of tribes to centralize the government, to gather a strong army, 
to provide stability, to provide security for the nation? Doesn't that make human sense? But the request clearly displeased Samuel. Now, we may be prone to think that Samuel's displeased because he wanted his kids to take the reins, but I don't think that's quite an adequate explanation. The text literally says their request was evil in his sight. Evil in his sight. And so he prays to the Lord, and the answer the Lord gives basically tells us that their request was evil in the sight of the Lord as well. Look at verse 7. The Lord says, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. So you want to know the reason why they are requesting a king? The Lord gives us the real reason. It's because they have rejected him from being king over them. We know that a human king is not inherently sinful. Part of the whole point of the book of Samuel is to establish a monarchy. But this request for a king is a rejection of the Lord as king. The real reason they're asking for a king is because they are idolaters. They want to serve the gods, so to speak, of the nations. Last week, we saw that God is more than able to deal with ungodly leadership in a nation. He is more than able to deal with the enemies that face God's people without the help of a human king. Chapters 4 to 7 make that abundantly plain. The people of God simply need to cry out to their God and He will deliver them. If they repent and cry out to God, He will deliver them. But now Israel forgets that their God is able to deliver them. And so instead of calling out to Him, they call for a king like the nations. They think that their success will be found in a new system of government. Sound kind of similar to evangelical Christians in America today? They forget that the success that really matters has to do with their relationship with God. A number of the kids who were here this morning went to kids camp this summer, or you've been at some point um, along the way, and all of you have heard, at least for the last number of years, a similar message about the kingdom 
of God. The kingdom of God was established in the Garden of Eden. In Dave Helm's wonderful little uh, book called The Big Picture Story Bible, which is written for the level of toddlers, which is helpful for me, may be helpful for you as well, he defines the kingdom of God as God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Ever since the beginning, God established a relationship with his people, a covenant relationship. And to live in right relationship with God, God's people must live under his rule as spelled out in his word. And when they live under his rule, they will then also live under his blessing. God says that Israel's request for a king is a rejection of his rule. Why does he say this? The answer is found in a very important line in their request. They want a king like all the nations. This gets to the real heart of the matter. In asking for a king like the nations, they are rejecting God. We've already said that. But they are not only rejecting God, they are also rejecting their identity as the people of God. Remember how God described Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. He said, now, this is Exodus 19, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, live under my rule, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, among all nations, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was Israel's identity as the people of God. They were meant to be a holy nation. We can turn to the New Testament and see that Peter refers to the church, to us, in the same terms. Holy here means distinct from other nations. To be holy, a holy nation, is to be unlike the other nations. In fact, the people of God were also called to be a light to the nations. They were meant to reflect God's character to the nations. As they lived according to God's word, they would reflect the character of the word of God, God himself, in the nations. What is Israel asking for here? A king like all of the nations. They no longer want to reflect God to the world. They want to be just like the world. As one pastor said, they no longer want to be Israel. 
they've not only rejected their God, they've rejected their identity as the people of God. They don't want to live under God's word. They want to live like the world. Do any of you feel like that this morning? Kind of weary of living the Christian life. Tired of being marked off as the people of God. Baptized in the church. Is living under God's word feeling like too much for you? Are you ready to just give in and to start living like the world? I don't think any of you here are asking for a new king like Israel was, but would you like somebody else to be in charge and calling the shots? Are God's ethics too much for you in the marketplace? Are God's requirements for faithfulness in marriage, endurance in marriage, more than you want to endure? Are his sexual ethics too rigid? Maybe you're ready to have a king like all of the nations, because we know that the king of this nation would not put those types of restrictions on you. But remember, it's only when we live under God's rule that we experience God's blessing. We forfeit God's rule. We forfeit God's blessing. And that leads us from the reason for the request, a rejection of God, a rejection of their identity as the people of God, to God's response to the request, which comes in the form of a warning of what will happen to those who reject God and their identity as the people of God. It's surprising to me, as I study this passage, that God repeatedly says to Samuel, I think three times in the passage, it opens up in the beginning and we see it at the very end as well, obey the voice of the people. Why does God tell Samuel to give the people what they want? If they're rejecting God as their king, why does he give them their request? Hopefully by the end of the sermon we'll have a provisional answer to that question. Let's begin by looking at verse 9. God says, Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them. And show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Remember where we started. When the elders asked for a king, they specifically asked for a king to judge them. Little did they know that they were about to get just what they asked for. They didn't want men like Samuel's sons leading them because Samuel's sons perverted justice. The same root word as the word judged them. They took bribes from them just like Eli's sons had taken from them. In this warning in verse 9, God says, warn them and show them the ways of the king 
It literally reads, warn them and show them the justice of the king who will reign over them. They wanted a king to judge them, not to pervert justice. God now says, I will show you the justice of the king that you have asked for. It will be my justice It will be my judgment on you for rejecting me. If they didn't like what Eli's sons and Samuel's sons had taken from them, they certainly aren't going to like what this king takes from them. Did you notice that that was the dominant word in verses 10 to 18? The word take. Choose six times. If you've seen Christmas Vacation, you're familiar with, with the gift that keeps on giving. Here we find the gift that keeps on taking. God will give them a king, but He will take, 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 take. Six times. He will take their sons. He will take their daughters. He will take their fields. He will take their servants. And he will take their assets in the form of taxation. They wanted Samuel to give them a king. He would give them a king who took from them. They wanted Samuel to appoint them a king. Notice two times in the passage the king would appoint their sons to his chariot. Appoint their sons as officers to his army. That last section says the king would take their servants. And then in the end, it says that they would be left as slaves. I'll take your slaves and you will be left as slaves. Look at verses 17 to 18. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Do you get a picture in your mind as I read those verses? A picture of Egypt? When Israel was in Egypt, they cried out to the Lord and He delivered them from slavery. But now, they will be slaves to their king and they will cry out to the Lord and He will not hear them. When you reject the Lord as king, when you reject the Lord's rule, you forfeit His blessing. When you serve idols, you become their slaves. They will suck the life out of you. You may think that you're tired of living under God's rule, of submitting to God's word. You may think that you're ready to give up and to simply give in to the world. It'll be easier, right? Well, is it? Is it actually easier to live under the tyranny of the world than to live under the rule 
of our covenant God. If you were living under the rule of the world, can I just ask how it's working for you? When you live according to your own sinful desires, does it really satisfy you? When you live according to the world's ways, does it really bring you more security? Or does it simply leave you feeling even more empty and insecure than you were before? Sometimes we think we will have more freedom without God only to come to find out that life apart from God's loving rule is simply slavery to sin. God's been issuing a warning. Now it's time for Israel's response. Will they heed his warning? Verse 19 gives us the answer. After hearing God's word from Samuel, we read, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. God's shown himself able to fight and win their battles for them without a human king, but they're finished with God, at least for now. They not only want a king like the nations, they want to, we're told here, be like the nations. Now we get it. (laughs) Now we get what the people of God really want. They don't want to be like their holy God. They want to be like the pagan nations. They'd rather have a king who takes from them than a king who gives to them. Samuel reports all of this back to God and the Lord responds with the same words he's already spoken two other times. Obey their voice and make them a king. What has God done here? He's given them over to their sinful desires. It reads a lot like Romans 1. But why? Why? My grandpa had a saying he used all the time. I I really remember him using it all the time. He actually had a, a lot of sayings that he used all the time, but most of them can't be repeated in church. But the saying I'm thinking of is short and appropriate for the context. He used to always say, about one of us grandkids. He'll learn. He'll learn. I have a scene in my mind to try and help you understand how he might use it. My little cousin climbing up on something tall. My aunt says to him, be careful, you might fall. He continues to climb. So my aunt does what moms often do. They reach out to try and get him down. But then my grandpa holds out his hand to stop my aunt and says, he'll learn. You see, in his logic, a little fall would teach a child more than his mom always bailing him out. There's something like that, I think, going on 
in 1 Samuel 8 when God says, obey the voice of the people. Is it that he's saying, they'll learn. They'll learn. If they won't learn from listening to my word of warning, they'll learn when that word of warning is fulfilled. What will they learn? Hopefully, they'll learn the lesson that he was trying to teach them in the warning, but I think he wants them to learn something more as well. The lesson that they were supposed to learn in the warning is that coming under the rule of the world won't satisfy you. It won't make you secure. They needed to come to see that only God can satisfy you and keep you safe. But they also needed to learn to look to God as the king and to look to the king that God would provide. You see, God wanted all along to give Israel a king. The book of Judges was setting that up. The first two chapters of 1 Samuel are setting it up. It's just that he didn't want to give them a king like the nations. You can go and read Deuteronomy 17 about the type of king he wanted to give them. One who would live under his word. God wanted to give them a king that was like A king who wouldn't take. A king who would give. A king who wouldn't use. But a king who would serve. Took Israel a long time to learn this lesson. They had to fall off of a lot of really high stuff to figure it out. If you fast forward a thousand years, you see Israel still looking to a king like the nations when Jesus is on trial before Pilate. Pilate says to the Jews, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Same thing, right? Only now, instead of asking for a king like the nations, they are saying this king from the nations is the only king that we have. Earlier, Pilate asked Jesus a question, are you the king of the Jews? To which Jesus replied, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. The king that we need is a king very unlike the nations, which only makes sense for a people who are to be unlike the nations as well. He taught this lesson to his disciples and he wants us to learn this lesson as well. Remember what he said to them in Mark 10? He said, you know that those, are, that, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. You're different. You're holy. You're distinct. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Why are we commanded 
to be a servant. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the God-man, God the King, but also the Son of David the King, he did not come to take life, he came to give life by laying down his life as a ransom for many and through giving his righteousness to us in place of our sinfulness. What do we deserve? We deserve to be simply handed over to our sinful desires. But God has given us a king that we don't deserve. A king who lays down his life for the sheep. This lesson in 1 Samuel 8 is meant to teach us to look to Jesus. Are you weary from living under the weight of the world's burdens? Are you sick of being a slave to sin? Then come to Jesus and he will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him. For he is gentle and lowly of heart, and he will give you rest for your souls. This is the king that you need. Would you pray with me? Father, the world teaches us to follow our heart. I pray we would be smarter than that as a congregation and that we would instead follow your son who has given himself up for us. It is in his name that we pray.